0: Hey there, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Bible in Life podcast. My name is John Whitaker. I am super grateful for you. Glad that we can be together here on the Bible in Life. Our goal, our heart on the Bible in Life is to provide what I like to call blue jeans theology. And what I mean by that is down-to-earth Bible teaching. Bible teaching that's in the language of everyday life, set in the context of everyday life, so that you and I can follow Jesus right in the midst of our everyday life. So I'm super glad you're here. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, a special welcome to you. We started last week a new series where we were looking at uh, some reflections out of some of the key stories from the book of Acts, and we're going to continue that on this episode. But before we jump into that, just a reminder that I have a free ebook on my website that I believe is super helpful to to you for reading the Bible well. It's called Bible in Life, and it gives 10 practices for hearing and heeding the Bible. That is, hearing means reading it well so you can understand it in its original context, its original setting, as well as heeding, that is, uh, putting it into practice in your life and what are some things we can do to kind of absorb it into our inner being so that we can be transformed by the scriptures, because the goal of the Bible is not merely for us to know it, it's also for us to live it. So that's available at johnwhitaker.net. Just scroll down a little bit. You'll see the the place to put in your name and email address. You'll get free access to it there. Hope that's helpful to you as you seek to study the Bible for yourself and grow in your faith and relationship to Jesus. All right, let's jump into the story that we find in Acts chapters 3 and 4. On this occasion, just to summarize the story before we look at some reflections, here's what happens. Peter and John, two of the apostles are going up to the temple, the temple in Jerusalem for the hour of prayer, which by the way, that in itself is helpful for us to notice that even though they're following Jesus, they are still Jews and they're keeping the Jewish hours of prayer at this point in time. And so they're heading into the temple. It's a massive complex with all sorts of entrances and ways to get into the temple proper and the large temple platform. So they're on their way into the temple at the hour of prayer. And on their way, they run into a certain man who's a beggar. He's lame, and he has a well-established pattern and location for asking people for money he usually is set down at the gate called Beautiful, which enters into a particular section of the temple proper. And so this man is positioning himself there on a regular basis because it's a great place to ask people for money. One of the highest values in Jewish faith was caring for the needy and the poor. So if he gets set there, they're coming out of worship or going into worship. They're going to be, you know, in a positive kind of religious mood and And so he's hoping that maybe that'll lead to some money. And he's done this for a long time. So that's his habit. But on this occasion, Peter and John are on their way into the temple. And this guy also is on his way to his location for the hour of prayer at the Gate Beautiful. And they meet somewhere else in the temple. Um, And this man is being carried along by some friends on his way to his place to beg. And he decides he might as well get a head start on the begging for the day when he bumps into uh, Peter and John. And so he asks them for some money. And this is where Peter gives the well-known saying that silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ arise and walk. And immediately the man was healed, and then he began following Peter and John to the temple, and he's shouting and hooting and hollering and leaping and jumping, celebrating that he can finally walk. And uh, this draws the attention of all sorts of people who have also come to the temple for the hour of prayer. There's thousands of people probably in the temple. And this man's eh, excitement and exuberance gets people's attention. So they all gather around. People are surprised and shocked because they recognize him. They probably have given to him. Some of them have given to him over the years. And so they recognize this guy and they're wondering what in the world's gone on. And this leads to an occasion for Peter and John to to share the gospel. And so they quiet the crowd down. They speak a message. And one of the things they say to the crowd is, why do you look at us as if it's by our own power, our own religiousness, that we made this happen? It didn't come from us, but it came from the faith of Jesus Christ. It's by uh, the name of Jesus that this man stands here before you today. And so they preach this whole message about Jesus and about who Jesus is and what that means. Now, as they're preaching to the people, what happens is that the religious authorities that run the temple, they come upon Peter and John, uh, they're going to exercise some crowd control measures, disperse the crowd, and they decide to arrest Peter and John and put them in jail for the night because it's already evening. And so this was the afternoon hour of prayer. Evening is upon them. There's no time for a trial tonight. So they arrest Peter and John put them in jail, hold them overnight. And the next day they bring them out of jail and they're going to have a hearing to try to figure out what had happened, what was going on and who in the world Peter and John thought they were to be preaching Jesus in the temple. And so they bring them out of jail and they, they have, it says, when you read Acts chapter four, like it looks like a full gathering of the Jewish Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin. And it mentions Annas and Caiaphas and even John who may be the, uh, the one who replaced Caiaphas as high priest a little bit later. And you got all who are of high priestly descent. So you have all the bigwigs, all the authority figures, um, and they're gathered in a semicircle in their meeting chambers. And they put little old Peter and John, two fishermen from Galilee, right in the center of all the power brokers in Jerusalem. Remember, this is Peter, who just probably only a handful of months earlier, on the night that Jesus was betrayed and crucified, denied Jesus. And now Peter, along with John, is standing there in the presence of those very people who condemned Jesus to death. And in that situation, in that setting, here's what the uh, the Sanhedrin asked of Peter and John. They asked them, by what power... Or in what name have you done this? Well, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, responded to them and gave them this message. Listen to the courage of Peter as he spoke these words to them. Peter says, rulers and elders of the people, if we're on trial today... For a good thing done to a sick man as to how this man was made well? Well then, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead by this name, This man stands here before you today in good health. And so presumably, the very man they had healed was with them in this moment. And maybe even spent the night with them in jail. And he's here. Peter points to him as exhibit A of the power of the name of Jesus. Peter actually goes on and says, um, And there is salvation in no one else, for it is in no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Well, the Sanhedrin was shocked and surprised at the boldness and the frankness and the confidence of Peter and John. They recognize them as having been with Jesus. And as the story unfolds, they they see the man. They can't deny the miracle. They recognize uh, that, man, there really has been a miracle. They're afraid of the people because Peter and John have great rapport with the people and really the whole Christian church does. And so they now basically give them a court order to say, Quit speaking and quit preaching in this name. Quit filling Jerusalem with this name of Jesus. That's their that's their a court order to them and then they released Peter and John and the man let them go. And they went back and gathered together with the church and they prayed to the Lord, asking the Lord not to keep them from trouble, not to keep them from difficulty, but to give them more courage to continue to be bold, to continue preaching in this very name that had just been commanded not to. And the story ends with them going about preaching the name of Jesus. And as we read through that story, it's a narrative. But remember, biblical narratives intend to communicate a message. And there are two really strands that get woven together in this story to communicate a very clear message. And those strands are the idea of boldness. In fact, the word uh, boldness is used, I think, three times in the story, maybe four. And outside of the story, in the book of Acts, it's only used one other time. So Luke has concentrated those words here and the idea of the word translated boldness is freedom of speech. Frankness, And they notice that. They, they see the confidence of Peter and John, it says, as they're standing there before them and recognize that they had been with Jesus. The other strand that gets woven together with that here is the idea of the name of Jesus. And you see it all throughout the story from the name by which Peter heals the guy to the name they proclaim to the people to the name that they proclaim to the Sanhedrin. It's all the name of Jesus. And so this story passes on this message to us that here's how the church moved forward that the church moved forward by proclaiming the name of Jesus boldly this story began with Peter and John simply going into the temple for the hour of prayer and being given this opportunity to do a good deed to this lame man and doing so in the name of Jesus, and then preaching to the crowd the message of Jesus. And the story ends after their prayer by assuring us that guess what? They kept right on preaching the name of Jesus with boldness. And that's how the church moved forward in the book of Acts. In fact, I think you get a heart of that boldness When you listen to Peter before the Sanhedrin, remember, he's standing just months after Jesus had been crucified by these very people. And he's standing before all the power brokers in Jerusalem. And Peter says to them, "Um, we cannot stop speaking what we've seen and heard. That's what gave them boldness. They were completely convinced of the resurrection of Jesus. They knew that Jesus was the Messiah. They knew that he was risen and ascended and sitting at the right hand of God. And as a result, they were so convicted that they had great boldness in their message. And if the church today wants to progress as the church did in Acts, then we must learn to be bold and proclaim the name of Jesus just like we see Peter and John doing in this story. That Their message was not uh, how great their church was. Their message wasn't about all the good deeds they did in town and about how, you know, they welcomed the poverty stricken and all that into their family and how they were taken care of. They didn't preach that. Maybe at times they drew attention to that. And that itself gave their message credibility. But when they stood to preach, what they preached was Jesus and his resurrection. And they proclaimed that with confidence and boldness. And we need to learn that. In fact, what we really see in this story is a combination of a couple things. A a deed done in Jesus' name, a good deed, like compassion, done in Jesus' name to a lame man, led to an opportunity to preach. And they seized the moment in both cases. They didn't shy back. They didn't cower away. Um, Their compassion led to their proclamation of the name of Jesus. And what I see in that is really the epitome of Christ-focused, Christ-centered living. They met a man on the street who had a need. They met that need, and then they responded to that need from Christ, which led to an opportunity to share the story about Jesus. And they did that when the opportunity arose. And it gives us a glimpse, I think, of how the Lord was adding to their number. They were going everywhere, meeting needs in Jesus' name, and proclaiming Jesus in the wake of doing so, because it gave them opportunities to do that. And it reminds me of a little book that I read years ago, not a real well-known book. Maybe back in the day it was somewhat popular, but it's largely forgotten. But I think it's a really important and helpful book on what it means to be a church and how the church is meant to operate in the world and how we're meant to progress. The book is entitled, Love, Acceptance, and Forgiveness. Um, And it really tells the story of a particular church, and how that church began to think about what does it mean to do ministry, and how are we going to be a church who is a force for good in the world. This is what he says. Let me read you a little excerpt and summarize some things from one little section of this book. It says... In the church as a force, the pastoral leadership is also constantly endeavoring to facilitate the ministry of the members. Rather than doing all the ministry themselves, they facilitate the ministry of the members. This means that the pastor carefully avoids usurping that ministry. He doesn't do the work for all the people, but he involves the people in doing the work for themselves. Well, then he goes on to tell a little story of what happened in his church as he began to try to live this out. He says, a man asked me to pray for him about a new place to live because he was living in an apartment uh, complex and he just felt a lot like the you know lot in the city of Sodom. The apartment complex was so full of immoral people that he just wanted to move somewhere else. And he actually says, our church had resources to buy an apartment complex and to have an apartment complex for all the believers. But we didn't think that was the best idea to do it. And so when this man asked us to pray for him, um, I met with him, I asked him, I heard a situation, I listened to him, I said, how about this? How about instead of um, praying for a new place to live, how about uh, we pray and we seek the Lord and figure out how in the world could you be an example and a force for good on the Lord's behalf in this apartment complex? Well, he says, in the wake of that, he soon began to discover that there were a lot of people in their church who were living in apartment complexes that felt the exact same way. Many of people had been praying for a new place to live. And so he gathered them all together and he cast this vision. Rather than praying for a new place to live, how could we have such a case of Christianity, such a case of Christ, that would become an epidemic in these apartment complex where we live? Let's pray. Let's fast. Let's seek the Lord and figure out what he says to us. And so they did. They began to fast and pray. And he said, at first, The people were like, well, you need a staff member to come down here and lead some Bible studies. No, we're not going to hire any more staff. The staff's not going to usurp this ministry from you. Um, Then they thought, well, maybe you're telling us that we need to go, you know, set up a pulpit down by the pool on Sunday mornings and preach a sermon to the people. No, that's not what we're saying. So they began to fast. They began to pray. And all of a sudden, people began to get a vision for how they could just, in natural, ordinary ways... um, Point people to Jesus where they are living. And so he said to them, that's all I'm asking you to do is simply to be open for business. Now, what does that mean for you? How can you be open for business as a servant of Christ here? Well, one fellow, he says, decided he should write out his testimony and post it on the bulletin board in the apartment complex. He happened to be the manager of an apartment building for 400 adult students uh, of the local community college. And this manager had been a bartender uh, and struggled with alcohol only months before until he met Jesus. So he posted his testimony on the bulletin board where all the messages for the apartment complex are. And then he attached a little note to his testimony says, if you want to talk more about this, see me, manager's apartment. And before you knew it, a steady stream of people began coming to him and he began sharing Jesus with them and ministering to them. And the author of the book says, now wouldn't it have been foolish for me to appoint a staff member for that apartment complex, or wouldn't it have been foolish for me to put that man on staff at the church. I would have removed him." From the very place where God had put him to serve and point people to Jesus. Well, he tells several other stories along the same lines in the book about how people began to get this idea of how they could use their current situation as a way to point people to Jesus. And in a very real sense, that's what I see happening here in Acts chapters 3 and 4. Peter and John are just going about their day. They didn't plan on doing a miracle that day. They didn't plan on preaching necessarily a sermon to the gathered crowd at the hour of prayer in the temple. They certainly didn't plan on spending the night in uh, the jailhouse for the Sanhedrin, nor standing before the Sanhedrin the next day and sharing the gospel with them. But all those things came about Because they were open for business. And as they went into the temple, they ran into a man who had a need. They met the need in Jesus' name that led to them preaching the name of Jesus before the people and before the Sanhedrin. And that's the way the early church moved forward. You can read about it all throughout the records of the early church where um, women in the laundry were chattering with other women about King Jesus and the gospel, men at the gymnasium or the public bath uh, chattering about Jesus and the gospel. They simply gossiped the gospel, as one person has said, as they went about their life and, and made relationships with people in their culture and in their context. Now, the world we live in might be in some ways very different than their world, But I think it's a good challenge for us to reflect on how could we simply live our life in such a way that we're open for business, we're ready to serve people in Jesus' name, and then when the opportunity arises, we're we're ready and prepared to proclaim the name of Jesus boldly right where we live on a daily basis. I find that incredibly challenging for me personally, something that I feel like I need to maybe really revisit and pray more fervently about asking the Lord to open my eyes and opportunities, and I hope and pray that you'll join me in that as well so that we, like the early church, can be people who simply share Jesus wherever we go in whatever way we can with whatever opportunities and skills the Lord has given us in the context of our everyday life. Hey, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Bible and Life podcast. The Bible in Life is a listener-supported, crowd-funded Bible teaching ministry that includes this podcast, the listener's commentary, some online courses, and a number of other things um, by which the Lord is bearing good fruit all around the world. And so thanks a ton to those of you who make this ministry possible by your generous support. And if you want to join a team of supporters, you can do so by going to johnwhitaker.net, clicking the Give button, and redirect you to a page at World Family Mission where you can set up a one-time or a recurring monthly donation. Thanks in advance for your support. May God bless you for it. I look forward to talking with you all next week.